Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused in the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 101, we sit down with Rob Durning. And this was uh, just a cool episode. I definitely learned a lot. Rob walks us through his background and how his master's degree at Northeastern positioned him to not only land here at Greener U, but Rob walks us through the evolution of his career, what he learned along the way, and how it eventually landed him here as the current CEO. Rob does a masterful job walking us through the value proposition for their current customers, not only in the higher education space, but more importantly, how they could partner with any customer that has a long-term view and intends to maintain their buildings over a multi-decade approach. Now, as usual, the real insightful part of the conversation happens towards the end as Rob discusses what he wants his lasting legacy to be and what he learned from his predecessor, David Adamian, along the way. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we could track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the folks out there who are still streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this conversation, please share it with your network and recommend to a friend or colleague in the industry. Now, we think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Rob and me. So let's drop in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Rob Durning, who is the CEO with Greener U. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Hey, I'm glad we uh, we scheduled this and made it happen. I, I know we connected through some mutual contacts that have been on the podcast here recently, and, and I'm really glad that we're going to be talking about Greener U and, and getting into the value proposition, how you guys are going to market. But before we do that, I was I was expecting, I believe our audience is going to want to get to know you a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in your career. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Central Mass and uh I think you know my path towards more of this uh, this engineering role is uh, starts back in uh, high school with my senior year of high school. I had a physics teacher who was uh, really turned the subject matter into project based problem solving, and and I really connected with that a lot. And uh, I, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I I had caught the engineering bug. Uh, and so uh, uh, when I went off to college, I I, I opted. I wasn't sure if I wanted to fully commit to engineering, and so I opted for a, a more liberal arts uh, education. Went to Boston College and, and got a degree in physics. And, and from there, you know, while I was at BC, I was uh, I was lucky enough to work for a professor for two years. This was in the the two thousand eight two thousand nine timeframe, uh, and and this professor was. Uh, developing thin-filled solar cell technology, uh, and it really spurred my interest in the clean energy industry. Uh, and while I was working for this professor, I started doing a little bit more work in uh, in the uh, research in the commercial solar industry, and and was just blown away by uh, how little of an impact solar was having on sort of delivering real uh, renewable energy to the the U.S. market at the time, and and. His whole thesis was sort of increasing uh, efficiencies in these solar cells would would help uh, increase production and, and deployment of uh, of commercial solar. But that's really where my my, my solar and renewable energy experience ended. Uh, and so, you know, 
the great thing about a physics degree was everybody told me, hey, you can do whatever you want with that. Uh, and uh, that's a great option until you actually have to figure out what you want to do. Um, and so in, in 2010, that spring, summer after I graduated, I uh, you know found myself, there was a lot of hand wringing and, and trying to figure out where, where, where am I going to go with my career? Um, and I was going to career fairs and I was standing, this was right after the financial crisis in 2008. And I, I found myself standing next to these guys who and women who had 10, 15, 20 years experience. And here am I, you know, brand new grad, no work experience. So I pivoted a little bit. I decided, oh, let's just go back to grad school. And then, you know, maybe, maybe things will look different after, uh, after grad school. Um, and so at that point, I, I had a pretty good feeling that I, I wanted to commit to more of that engineering. I had an interest in clean energy. And at the same time, my brother was at Northeastern and I saw him getting these co-ops and, and getting real work experience. Um, and so I was able to uh, find a program at Northeastern. It was brand new at the time. I think I ended up, I think I was the second graduating class at, at Northeastern, but it was their, their energy systems engineering program. Uh, and it really resonated with me because uh, there were three things that they, they really pitched me on. One was half the courses were technical and engineering. And I felt like that was going to be important to, to transition from more of that physics background to an engineering, more practical uh, application of those skills. Half the courses were in the business school, and I knew that I wanted to get a background in, in you know, finance, accounting. I wasn't going to be a finance or accounting expert, but I needed to have some sort of basis in that business background. And then the third was the co-op. And so I, I enrolled there and uh, was able to, uh, after the first year of courses, search for a co-op. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to interview at two different companies. Um, the first was Greener U, and the second was a, a larger national OEM ESCO. I, I was lucky enough to get offers from both companies, um, but really felt like I was going to be able to contribute more and, and deliver more at Greener U. They really sold me on their culture and what they were trying to build and being uh, being able to contribute meaningfully, even as a co-op, to, to what they were, they were trying to build. Um, and so... He here I was thinking I was going to have a career in renewable energy, and I ended up doing, you know, working for a, a building energy efficiency type company. They were able to take a six month flyer on me as a co op, uh, and the rest is history. I've been there, been there ever since. Yeah, it turns out your you int your intuition was right. Being able to make an impact and being able to grow within the company, right? Large corporation versus smaller growing company, and and here you are, what uh, thirteen years later or however long it's been uh, as the CEO of the of, of the company. So you know we could. Of course, talk a little bit more about your career path. But before we get into that with within Greener U, tell us a little bit about the the Greener U model, right? I, I know um, you know just looking at the website, I thought it was really interesting when I saw design, build, climate action. You know, I'd seen those two terms, but I'd never seen them combined. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, how you're going to market, and just a little bit about the business. Sure. Yeah. So uh, you know, Greener U is a design, build, climate action firm, and and what does that mean? So. You know, we were founded in 2009 under the premise that we could add value in the higher ed market. This at the time, uh, higher ed was really the the industry leading the way, and they continue to be to this day in in sort of uh, making commitments when it comes to climate neutrality and carbon neutrality. Um, and so, how do we combine both building energy performance with making those climate neutrality and carbon neutrality commitments? How do we make sure that all of uh, organizations' priorities are aligned and pointed in the right and the same direction. Um, and so we, we do that by delivering three main service offerings. We've got a planning team, which is a, a team of consultants who works with an organization very early on in their, in their climate commitments. 
we're helping them understand how do we pull together multiple stakeholders across various departments to make those commitments? How do they gain consensus across the organization and get buy-in both at the presidential and board level? Um, how should they commit to carbon neutrality? Should they be setting a 2050 goal? Should they be you know, buying offsets? Uh, are they going to make some sort of carbon-free commitment where they're going to say, after, after a certain year, we're not going to be buying offsets anymore because we're going to be getting rid of all of the uh, our, you know, fossil fuel burning equipment on our, on our campus? And then how do they measure and manage scope three uh, GHG emissions on top of that scope one and scope two? And so then from there, you know, our engineering team really focuses on that building side, scope one and scope two emissions. We want to be those building experts for them where we're helping them find the right mix of energy efficiency and deeper infrastructure and capital renewal type uh, projects within their mechanical systems so that they can deliver those, those energy and GHG uh, uh, reduction projects. And then lastly, you know, we found that our customers really need a, a group who can deliver on those goals and construct those, those projects for them. And so we're actually helping them build those projects in a design build manner. Uh, we add value as being a lightweight construction manager. We're not going to be doing a gut reno. So we have to understand that these projects are happening in occupied spaces. These buildings aren't being taken offline for six months at a time. Uh, we have customers who don't have the bandwidth to manage the multiple subcontractors at one time. And then we also have customers who recognize and, and we recognize that these systems that we're installing are often going to be more complicated than the systems that they're retiring. And so we need to focus on testing, commissioning, and training the users so that they can get uh, value and they'll operate well uh, into the future. So you, you mentioned the value proposition there, which is which is great. And as the name implies, Greener U, I, you know, I think it's safe to assume the majority of your customers are going to be in the higher education space, but not every higher education client or institution is going to be created equal or have the same goals. So tell us a little bit about some of the types of higher education clients that really you partner well with. Yeah. So, so you know, we we partner, we're still primarily working with higher ed institutions, but we also work with any organization that's going to take a long-term look at their buildings, who's going to be invested long-term. So we're working with a lot of nonprofits, museums, libraries, churches, and, and, and even some commercial customers who understand, you know, I'm going to be invested in and own this building long-term. But, but the, the perfect examples of the types of customers who come to us, you know, a customer comes to us and says, I have this small boiler plant. It's on its last legs. I have maybe one or two winters left. The last time it failed in 1990, I called my mechanical contractor and he swapped a design build with whatever the most efficient model was in 1990. I know that I don't want to replace it with the boiler now. What do I do? Right? And so now this project becomes a little bit more complicated than maybe a, a traditional contractor can take on. It takes a little bit more planning, a little bit more considering different options, a little bit more engineering. Uh, it's going to be from a construction perspective, a bit more intrusive on the end users. We're probably going to be changing out terminal units and, and maybe going to a VRF or, or heat pump type system. And so it just, every aspect of the project take, becomes a little bit more involved. And so we're going to help them sort of think through that and deliver that, that uh, you know, 21st century solution. The second example is a campus that has, uh, you know, a, a small a building right now that has 
MEP capital renewal needs, right? It's it's air handlers that have worn out. It's uh, infrastructure within the building that's worn out that they need to address today, maybe one to two years. But on the on the larger scale, they also have a central plant that they're not sure what's going to happen. I've got a steam plant that I know in the next 15 to 20 years, I'm going to have to retire and probably go to some lower carbon solution. And how do I make decisions and, and do renovations in this building today that needs it without hamstringing myself down the road when I retire the plant and I have to go back and, and redo that work because I wasn't thinking far enough ahead about what those decisions were. And so we're helping them sort of think through that strategic plan of you can do these renovations today and you can take these, uh, you can phase these projects in a certain way. Maybe you put in a new air handler with uh, low temperature coils so that in some future scenario where you have a maybe a geothermal plant or, or some plant that has a lower grade heat, you're not going to have to go back and replace those coils again. And so we're helping them think through and execute those projects in a phased approach. You know, what, what we like to say is we, we like to be that just right solution. You know, we'll deal with customers on a day-to-day basis who they go out and they, you know, they haven't put together necessarily a formal RFP, but they've gone out and they've gotten four or five proposals from from small shops who say, I can offer this, 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 and this type of energy solution. And here's your two back, two year payback, and, and here's your, your rebate. Um, but every option has different sized equipment or, or compares different options, uses different uh, manufacturers, and, and they're just not sure where to go, right? And so we're helping them with a transparent decision-making process that helps look at all the different options, make selections, control that process, really retain control. So they're not, they're not giving up that control. But at the same time, you know, on the flip side, we're going to be a little bit nimbler, a little bit more flexible than those national large ESCOs uh, while delivering the same level of service. Yeah. And that totally makes sense from our experience. You know, we've, we've seen, you know, we've worked with some clients on the higher education side and, you know, the folks that we've helped land there and engineering, high level engineering positions. I mean, they're just very well educated. They're very sophisticated. So it makes complete sense that the model that you're outlining there is something that once you get a chance to present it to them, they would see the value in it instantly, right? Looking at it long-term, looking at it strategically, helping them meet their goals and objectives. So I think that hundred uh, percent makes sense. Rob, I want to go back to something real quick. You know, I alluded to kind of your your career, your evolution here, just internally within Greener U. You probably didn't think when you started here out of college that you'd become the next CEO, did you? No, no. You know, I really thought that I would be on the engineering side. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's where I I expected to be. And, and what I loved about Greener U was I, I needed to wear multiple hats because we didn't have all those people. And so that's, you know, something to me is is when when we're looking for for talent and talking to people, people who are willing or show uh, experience having worn multiple hats and, and say, you know, I, this is my expertise, this is my history, but I also did this for a little while. Or, you know, because we lost this person for six months, I needed to wear this hat. And so, you know, as a small company, I started out as an energy engineer, but we were also project managing. And so that got me into the operations side. And, and how do we hire subcontractors? And how do we manage a budget? And, and how do we sell a pr- proposal and, and, and add value to a customer? And so, and how do you manage the, the P&L of, of an individual project? And then over time that, you know, slowly expanded to, well, all right, so how do we manage the P&L for, you know, the entire construction division? Just ended up over time building that sort of business background 
um, spending time in every department. And, uh, you know, over the decade that I, you know, decade plus that I've been there, sort of just took on more and more and, and gained more experience in different areas. Dots. That's, uh, that's excellent. So let's go back to, um, you know, you talked about kind of the ideal customer that you guys are working with, helping to plan for the future, which I think is a nice segue to discuss kind of the, the future of the industry as a whole, right? So if we look out 5, 10, 15 years from now, Rob, where do you see the industry heading? Yeah, so, so there's a few different things that, that we're seeing going on right now. Um, you know, the, the first and most immediate, I would say, is we're helping um, customers with EV charging. Uh, you know, it's it's a growing need. Our customers say, you know, my constituents, my the my either my employees, my students, my parishioners are saying, I've got an EV car. I want to be able to plug in. And and how do you how do you plan for that future with an, an organization that says, you know, right now I might only need two or four EV chargers, but you know, five or ten years from now I might need. Uh, five or 10. And so, you know, we're helping sort of be transparent, help them plan through, here's what you can do today, but here's the types of infrastructure back, you know, um, that you can put in place so that in five or 10 years, you can expand and you can double the number of EV chargers that you're offering. You know, we're more interested in helping our customers put our customers' best interests rather than just selling that quick project today. And so we're, you know, we'd rather wait a year to sell five or 10 chargers, then, you know, try to sell the, the two chargers that can get installed next month. The second thing is building envelope. Uh, you know, in the, in the energy efficiency industry, traditionally speaking, our, the limit of our building envelope experience stops at weather sealing, you know, air sealing and, and insulation. And more and more, this is becoming uh, a bigger uh, having a bigger impact on decarbonization of these buildings. And so we're starting to look at windows and, and super insulating and, and this uh, deep energy retrofit type solution. And how do we find the right building science partners who we can work together to identify uh, the best bang for our buck when we, if we're going to, to do these, these deeper energy retrofit type projects? And then the third, I would say, is you know just decarbonization in general is becoming a, a growing need our customers understand that they need to do it but they're also realizing that it's taking deep financial it has deep financial implications and uh you know i think there's a growing need for decarbonization as a service you know and and financial partners who are willing to look at these buildings and these assets over a longer time frame than we've traditionally looked at these types of of energy projects and so you know can we can we start to look at the investment timeframe for customers who know they're going to be in these buildings for the next 30, 40, 50 years and, and really try to make these, these deeper capital investments make sense and finance them over that longer term? Yeah. And the, uh, the energy as a service or the as a service market has become ubiquitous, right? It's a growing space. There's a lot of entrance into this particular financing segment for energy efficiency and renewable energy. But I would imagine, as you're mentioning there, kind of the timeline, the outline for these extended periods of time, does that limit the amount of partners that are out there on the financing side? We don't need to talk about anybody specifically, but you know, how do you evaluate the right financial partner knowing these prolonged timelines are there for your customers? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's so there's there's increased risk the longer it, it you know, the longer the, the time frame is, but you know, then we're also dealing with the the asset life itself, right? And so, you know. Um, if we're dealing with a geothermal plant, you know, is is this something or, or 
uh, a deep energy retrofit where we're adding maybe exterior insulated panels on a building and recladding the building. You know, how, how can we how can we take those types of projects and you know we know that that life is going to be on that twenty five or thirty year time frame and we can start to you know really accept it and and finance it with knowing that those that's what the life of those are going to be. Cool. No, it makes sense. Well, let's uh, let's transition to the the last part of the show here, Rob. I wanted to ask you the the same four questions I ask every guest who comes on, and wanted yeah. to lead off with what are your daily non negotiables? Yeah. So uh, on a on a personal level, uh, being home every night uh, with to be with family is definitely uh, first and foremost as a as a daily non negotiable. I think uh, you know I deeply care, and, and greener you and our you know the culture that we're trying to build deeply cares about work life balance. I've got two young kids at home, and so um, you know, making sure that I'm I'm home every night with them is is an important thing. And then professionally, I think uh, we always try to do good. You know, we we want to know that we're putting, like I said earlier in the show, we want to put our customers' best interests first, even if it seems counterintuitive to our own immediate interests. Um, and so we're we really harp on being transparent and being open with our customers about what their options are. Uh, providing that white glove service so that, you know, at the end of the day, we can say that we did good work and that we we cared you know, we care about the projects. We care about the environment and we care about the people that we're working both with. And, and that includes, you know, the, our subcontractors and our vendors that we're working with, but also the, the customers that we're working for. All right, let's rewind the clock. You're graduating from Boston College. What advice would you give to your 22 year old self? Yeah, uh, this is a good one. Um, so there's, there's two pieces that, that I, I think about. Uh, you know, the first is ask questions. Uh, you know, when I'm talking with uh, potential candidates, junior employees, uh, I can tell more about how someone is understanding the, the role or the what we do by the questions they ask and sometimes the answers that they give. Um, you know, I want to be able to see those questions start to evolve and elevate in, in sort of complexity. So I can see that they're connecting the dots from a site visit to a deliverable to a project that we can, that we can sell. And, uh, you know, I think early in my career, I was not comfortable being uncomfortable and asking those questions. And there was a lot of times I probably just nodded and, and made it seem like I understood what I was doing. Uh, you know, one of my earliest memories at Greener U was uh, I was asked to go to a, a skating rink. We were doing a project at a, at a local skating rink, and we walked in the back door with a couple engineers, and we're in a mechanical room, and there's this carrier screw chiller next to us, and it's just screaming. I mean, we, we have earplugs, and it's so loud. And I had no idea what it was, right? I mean, I, I, I had taken thermodynamics. I knew what a chiller was supposed to do. I had no idea what one actually looked like in the field. And I thought for sure, uh, you know, my face was going to give me away and I, I was going to get, you know, let go before my, my career ever even started at Green Area. Um, But I wish I had been more comfortable asking questions. And then the second piece is learn as much as you can and, and say yes to everything, you know, do that hard work. And, you know, there, there were a lot of examples of tasks I was given early in my career that I didn't quite understand. I wasn't even sure if it was the best use of my time. I thought I could be doing you know, higher level, more important things. But I found that that really uh, getting down into the the, the nitty gritty and, and understanding what those tasks did, you know, I didn't necessarily have to do them 10,000 times. Uh, 
I didn't have to become the expert in them, but it really helped give me the building blocks to to pull to put together to to understand the higher level. So that when I stood stepped back, you know, I could I could understand it. I could uh, I could work with others who who were experts in it, um, and and really get that foundation. I love the part about the uh, asking questions, right? Because I can often tell like the quality of a candidate on our side, you know, the quality of the questions that they ask is directly correlated to their interest level and, and how they, you know, can eventually perform in the role. So I think that's a uh, that's a huge part there. Uh, next question here. What what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, the uh, the people, the, the people that we work for. Uh, the people that we work with, uh, you know, both colleagues and and like I was saying earlier, the subcontractors, the vendors. I mean, it takes so many different people to come together. I mean, when we're talking about really, really smart individuals who who are doing everything they can every day to sort of continue to push forward this clean energy transition. And I mean, it takes uh, it takes a lot to overcome the momentum of business as usual or the the political wills of an organization or the the financial and the technological challenges that we face um and so you know the the, the people that we work with who get up every day as frustrating as things might be someday um to sort of continue to to march this this cause forward uh is really inspiring all right last question here what do you want your lasting legacy to be sure yeah you know it's it's uh it's not something that I think about a lot at this point in, in my career. Uh, you know, I think the the simplest answer is is that I want uh, Greener U to have contributed meaningfully in this decarbonization industry. It's a it's a new and growing industry, uh, and I, I want Greener U to have have contributed meaningfully. Uh, I want to be considered somebody who was results oriented, but also compassionate uh, and emotionally invested. But I think, you know, when, when I was thinking about this question, I, my, my thoughts kept drifting back to, to my predecessor, David Adamian, uh, who was co-founder of Greener U back from 2009. Uh, you know, and, and as he was headed to retirement, him and I spent every day together for about six months where, where we worked on the transition and, and learning from him. And, uh, you know, I think I, I learned more about leadership in those six months um, than I had in the, the previous decade at Greener U. I was just so impressed by how much he cared about leaving Greener U in a stronger position for the future than what it had been in the past, uh, and and to really succeed without him, you know. And I think that that I think about that that selflessness and dedication a lot, and uh, I hope that I'm able to to integrate some of those those principles into my own leadership. Rob, I think that's the perfect way to wrap up the show here. So thanks for being a guest on the Building Efficiency Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jim. This was great. All right. All right, there you have it. Episode 101 with Rob Durning. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcasts. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.